This is Ashley Stone, and you're listening to The Comeback Podcast. Well, okay, Brooke, I am so excited to have you on the podcast. You're like stunning, by the way. It just Oh, thank you. You're stunning as well. So definitely um, very captivating with your story. One of the reasons why I definitely just got hooked. But yeah, thank you. Yeah, um, I'm so excited. I, I just could really relate to... Um, your story and Jenna, who she helps us like kind of sort through the stories. We get tons and tons of emails. And so I have kind of a hard time, like keeping up with reading all of the, the stories send in. And she's like, we really got to interview Brooke. Like she, she seems like this would be such a good one. And I feel like whenever we like, whenever the stars align and we have an episode that happens, it's like so meant to be. It seems like there's somebody that really needs to hear it. So, yeah, I'm excited to have you on. And I'd love to hear mm. a little bit about you. Like, where you, where do you live now? I know you said you're from California, but where you live now? Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I know you're married. So maybe, like, tell us a little bit about that if you work or just a little context for who you are before we jump yeah. into your Totally. I currently live in Salt Lake with my husband. We got married... Um, a little over a year ago um, in the Newport Beach Temple, and it was best day ever. I went to the University of Utah. I got my bachelor's there. I work full-time as a medical assistant in the university hospital, and um, I also teach some workout classes, just keeping, you know, my fitness live and well and incorporating that into my life is super important so yeah I I have those two jobs and then how I met my husband and where we are today is very much tied into my story and my testimony and pretty much where I am today I'm forever indebted to the Lord for my husband because, um, you know, without being humble and kind of just submitting myself to the Lord's plan for me and not doing things my way, I have my husband, Aaron. And so kind of going into my story of, um, well, I guess we got to start from square one. So I'm from California, born and raised um, in Orange County. I grew up in a suburb called Irvine. It was an awesome place to grow up. And I, you know, was born into the covenant, born. I definitely have goodly parents. I love my mom and dad. They are awesome. Unfortunately, once I got to my young women age, about maybe like 14 years old, Uh, A lot of the extracurriculars that I was involved in, you know, just as you get older, you find passions for things and you start to get busy. It was hard for me to get to activities and, you know, my mom works full time and as well as, you know, my dad and I had two other siblings and sometimes it's hard to get to activities. On top of that, I felt like the ward that I grew up in as amazing as some of the people were, I 
for whatever reason, had not the best of leaders and not the best, um, you know, cheerleaders that I would have wanted. And I, I wish that I had. And so really my young women years was started this snowball effect of, you know, I will just never forget this. And, you know, I included it in my email to you guys, just giving you a background. I remember we got to youth con youth conference time around the summer and they were passing out flyers and we were in the young women's room and one of my leaders, which like still kind of shocks me to this day, totally just skipped over me, passing me the flyer. And I was like, oh, like, can I have one? And she was like, well, like, you don't really go to things anyways. So like, kind of like insinuating, like, why would I give you one if you don't really come to a lot of the activities anyways? And I just remember feeling so upset and just so frustrated and I was like why is it my desire to even you know be there or see if you know schedule wise if like we can make this work like why isn't that exciting enough for you as a leader to be like oh hopefully this works out like here you go like I really hope this works out and instead it was just the total opposite of like well like you know, we weren't planning on you coming anyways type of a thing. So like, why give you one? When you're at an age of, you know, 13, 14, 15, you are just so much like a sponge. You just soak up all of those feelings, any like negative interaction you really, really hold on to. And I mean, fast forward, 10 plus years later and I will always remember that and I remember getting in the car and telling my mom I was like I really thought like I would want to be there and after that interaction I'm like I don't want to be there anyways like if you are supposed to be my leader you know like my cheerleader and that was just totally not like a positive reinforcement type of reaction that I was expecting. It was the complete opposite and I totally shut down. I I just remember telling my mom, I do not feel welcomed there. I remember, you know, starting to skip second hour because I was like, you know, if, if those are the those are supposed to be my role models, my leaders, um, my examples. I'm like that made me feel like crap, terrible. And that was definitely just the start of it all, for sure. I just felt like very much getting in my head and doubting my testimony, doubting my efforts, really starting to feel like it didn't matter if I wanted to do certain things or wanted to exercise some effort in some way, it would never be enough because I felt like that was, you know, on the receiving end of some of those comments, I felt like, you know, it didn't matter if I 
wanted to go to the activity, like for whatever reason, like that effort is still not enough because I had missed previous ones. So that was definitely just the snowball effect of everything and totally shutting off and starting to lose my standards one by one because I was like, if those are supposed to be, you know, my leaders, like, I don't want any of, I don't want any part of that. Like, that did not make me feel good. That was not, like, I just knew, like, my savior would not want me to feel that way. And it was so hard for me to understand why I was having that interaction because I knew, you know, any of those negative feelings don't come from the Savior. And so I was like, why is he letting, you know, like, it just felt so backwards to me. You know, here I am, like, child of God, the same as, you know, this woman who is my leader. And I'm like, why, like, why is the Lord letting her, like, treat me like this? Like, I, I need, I need a good example. I need someone to be excited for me to be there. And definitely just, it hardened my heart immediately one by one I was kind of just like you know what forget it like I don't want to go anyways and I don't want to be in an environment that makes me feel that way and then it turned into once I finally got into high school you know freshman year you're 14 turning 15 I went to a Catholic school in Southern California it was an amazing experience being able to learn about, you know, the Catholic faith, but it was also a very crucial time for me to, you know, be a representative of our faith because, shocker, there's not a lot of LDS people who go to Catholic school. <laughs> so definitely in religion class, it was, you know, like, oh, who's getting confirmed this year? And I'd be like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Basically, it, it was very obvious, like, who was Catholic, who wasn't. And they would, you know, also ask just to see what your background was, just to make the, the flow of the class a little bit more uh, cohesive for everyone else's level of knowledge about Christianity. It was very much so like, oh, Brooke is... The Mormon girl, because back then, you know, it was Mormon. Like, oh, she's the Mormon girl, and so, um, and he didn't bug me. I was fine with it. But as I was going through that hard time, you know, being at church, I was just like, so it was definitely my time to stand as a witness of Christ as a member of the church of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And it was definitely a trial of my faith to basically realize, like, do I want to identify with him? Do I want to, you know, be a disciple of Christ? Because in my shoes, being pretty much the only girl at a school that you know, is Catholic. I mean, I know what I signed up for. My my parents were like, hey, no one there is going to be LDS. I knew, I knew, but it did test my faith, especially with, you know, some of the trials I was going, 
I was dealing with at church, um, it was finally that branching out time of my life of like, okay, well, you know, I've been growing up and this is what my parents believe. And I believe that too, because I have great parents and this is, this feels great. And then, you know, once I kind of got some of that freedom into high school to really test the waters of my faith and my relationship with Christ, sometimes I, I did feel really alone just with the trials that I was going through with even like seminary. I had a very difficult time as well as like young women's. I was just like, you know what? I, I don't know. I don't know. And um, on top of it, people would definitely press my buttons at school and be like, oh, you know, I remember I had a balloon that said happy birthday because it was my birthday. And they're like, I thought you weren't allowed to celebrate birthdays. And I'm like, that's Jehovah's Witnesses. Like, that's not, that's not LDS. Um, and so I did have to like stand up for myself. And it kind of got to a point where I was just like, hold on. Like, do I have a testimony of this stuff? Because I'm, I'm definitely, you know, having a lot of adversity come my way. And so um, I got to a point where I kind of just wanted to fit in with my peers. I, I wanted to understand the whys. I was definitely that kid, unfortunately, that was like, you know, don't touch the stove, it's going to burn you. Why? And it's like, I don't know. That's just what happens. And like when it came to, you know, don't drink, drinking is bad. Why? Because it's bad for your body. Well, how do you know that? You know, like that was me. And I wish, I wish that I wasn't that person, but for whatever reason, I had to make wrong decisions and experiment with not keeping the commandments to know why I needed to keep them and why they were so important and how they are a protection for us. And I just remember people kind of giving me a hard time and saying, oh, you have all these rules. Like, oh, are you sure you can do this? You're going to be breaking your rules. And and I got to a point where I was so fed up. I'm like, you know what? I truly don't know why. And I ended up breaking lots of rules or um, commandments and things that honestly, I would, I can't say I wish I could go back and change, you know, those things, but I truly wouldn't because I have a testimony of why those commandments are so important because I broke them. And the Lord, he let me fall so I could learn why it was so important to stand my ground as so hard as it is to watch others go through that. It's also just as important to let them fall, let them learn. It's great to you know, let them know you see them, you know, you know, life is hard, but also that the Savior knows what they're going through. 
So through high school, I ended up getting fully immersed in to like the party crowd. And I, I wanted to be the, the, I guess you'd say like the social girl, the party girl. And I definitely like ended up being that. I, I would have parties at my house for like New Year's and after homecoming, after formal, things like that. And they weren't up to the standards of, you know, the ways that I should have been living. Um, but I was definitely replacing my happiness in the light of Christ that I felt, that wholeness that I felt from going to church. I had replaced that with the things of the world. I definitely let myself feel numb. I would numb myself by, you know, I mostly struggled with alcohol and I would just, I was not drinking just to say that I was drinking. I was, I was hurt. I was drinking to forget, drinking to be numb. You know, fast forward to college and I ended up going to the University of Utah and I definitely still wanted to be in that party crowd, but I felt like I still had my love for the gospel. And I truly feel like the Savior was advocating for me and trying so hard to pull me back and be like, I know you know what is right. I know you know, like, this party life is is not your forever happiness. It is not. I always knew that deep down. I always knew, you know, the morning after feeling terrible. And that was the first thing I would think of is, like, this is why I shouldn't be drinking. I feel so sick. Like, I would just have these aha moments of, like, this is why. And as awful as it was, I had been so addicted to this numbness that I wanted to feel. It was so hard to kind of overcome that desire to just be numb, even though I knew, like, that wasn't going to make me happy forever. So I was in a sorority my freshman and sophomore year, and I met some great girlfriends, some of them that, you know, stood next to me on my wedding day. You know, you can, you can be in any environment and you can find the good, but you can always find the bad too. And unfortunately, I had still been so torn on, you know, and do I want to, I you know, identify with my savior? Do I want to be his disciple? And then I also had this desire to be of the world. It very much had my soul torn. I wanted to be in the world and of the world. I learned after two years of college, you cannot have both. It goes back to that scripture of like, you cannot serve God and mammon. Like you you can't have both. And that's, that's what I wanted. I wanted to 
pick and choose my commandments. I wanted to pick and choose the things that I wanted to obey. And I just remember I I would tell myself, I'm like, Brooke, it's not a buffet. The church is a lifestyle. Like this is a lifestyle. And I had learned from my mistakes, you know, two years of high school and two years of college of living this lifestyle that it was no longer sustainable. Like that was not my forever happiness. It was not the numbness that I would feel could only last so long. It could only patch up the holes for so long. It could only, you know, make me feel afloat for so long. But the happiness that I felt with the Savior, that just, it just lasts forever. I got to a point where I had made some very difficult decisions, some very hurtful decisions that affected myself, but also my family. And I had an incident where I ended up in the hospital. And I remember waking up and my mom and my dad were there and my sister was there, and I had I had so much alcohol in my system. The doctor was basically saying, I would feel okay discharging you under the circumstances that, you know, you do seek therapy. And as hurtful as it was to, you know, wake up and see my parents there mortified and see my uh, my sister there mortified, um, I was like, this is more than just a me problem. Like, I, I'm hurting people. I'm hurting my family. They, they were scared. They didn't know what my intentions were with, you know, I mean, being in a hospital, they're like, oh my gosh, like, How did it get to this point? Honestly, if it weren't for that circumstance of my parents, you know, they had very much been aware of my struggles with it in the first place. But until it got to that severe point of intervening and being like, okay, you know, you need help. It was really then in there that I was like, I can't do this alone. And with the help of my parents as well as realizing, you know what, other, like my parents knew I was not the same Brooke. I was not the same happy Brooke as I was, you know, going to church and and being present, but also that my lifestyle was not making me happy. And I feel like I, I wanted to sell that it was. And I feel like kind of waking up in that environment, it was like, show's over. Like, mm-hmm. you're done. No more uh, trying to put a point. You, when you're talking about this, it's it's bringing back a lot of memories for me. Earlier, you mentioned how you would like wake up in the morning and just be like, crap, like this is not. It's almost like a feeling of like homesickness or something. It's like such an uncomfortable feeling of like, I know that this isn't right. And in the moment when you're drinking and partying, it's a feeling of like fun and like excitement. 
but you wake up the next day and it's like you see everything for what it really is and it's like this just homesick type feeling like yeah you know where you should be you know and I just I can relate to that feeling so much yeah it's kind of like that's honestly the best way to describe it is like a homesickness of like like I never should have been here in the first place but here I am you know and you're like oh gosh and it was never a good feeling but it I like to think that it was the savior telling me like I know you know what is right and not you know not telling me oh I told you so or oh this is why and it was very much like you know what is right and I will leave the rest to you with all of those experiences and reaching that pinnacle of for me it's still very much like a traumatic thing because I was not very coherent waking up and you know seeing my family and but I had a lot of time afterwards, especially with, you know, having to go to therapy and just realizing, you know, what is the root cause of all of this. It very much was, I guess I was, I was very much scared to be the person that the Savior wanted me to be. And I know that kind of sounds weird or odd to some people, but I remember when I was 14, I got my patriarchal blessing and it said I would go on a mission. And I remember like getting in the car afterwards and telling my mom and dad, I was like, like the Lord knows me like really like there's no way there's no way like he would know my desires and he would know that's not one of them like i don't want to go that was always one thing in the back of my mind of like oh well the lord wants me to be this way and you know i have my leaders that are like you know that's not enough or i would come to an activity and they're like you can't wear that here and i'm like well why I don't know what to tell you, you know? I was very much scared to submit myself to the Lord's plan that he had for me um, because I think as scared as I was being 14 years old and, you know, hearing, oh, you're, you will serve a full-time mission, I was like, that sounds terrifying. I was so scared and I was like, that sounds like a nightmare. Like, I am so scared. I just immediately felt disqualified myself from that. I was like, there's no way. Like, I just, I don't know. It just was not one of the things that I I felt capable of. You know, looking back on it, obviously, the Lord knew me better than I knew myself. And he knew that that's what I was capable of. Going from, you know, confiding in my parents and them saying, you know, we we knew you weren't happy 
you have not been yourself in a really long time. This is, this is not you. You know, your, your smile isn't the same. Like, where did that light go? I remember being so sad because I, I knew what they meant. And I, because I had felt that I felt like my light was gone. It wasn't until I ended up going back to school the end of my sophomore year I was like okay like my parents are checking up on me I am checking in with myself I am gonna make some goals for myself because I got so low I I felt so broken I felt like not even the Lord would want to fix me there's this video by Elder Holland that's called The Savior Understands Me. And it's one of my favorites. And he says, no one can fall lower than the light of Christ shines. I would always go back to that. I was like, it doesn't matter how low I got. He was he was still trying to shine on me in any way possible. When I got back to school, I was like, I need more of him. Like, I can't do this alone. I will do anything to feel whole again. That was my biggest thing. I felt broken and I didn't feel whole and I felt very alone. I I had great girlfriends in my life and I still just felt so alone. So I ended up meeting with my bishop and I went in there and I just laid it all on the table. I was like, look, I've done this before. I know how this goes. Please don't ask me, what are you here for? You name it. Yes. Okay. Like, <laughs> let's fast forward <laughs> to the part where, like, I cannot feel this way anymore. I very much said it exactly like that. Like, please don't ask me you know, what sin. I was like, I have not been worthy for a very long time. So let's not play the, you know, put a finger down game. Like this is like, I need to start over. And he was like, I can already tell you have done a lot of repenting by being so hard on yourself. And I was like, I kind of had a hard time with that because culture-wise, I feel like you hear other people's repentance story and they're like, oh, you know, I did this and I, you know, that cost me six months or whatever. And I just thought like, you know, this this repentance journey is going to take me forever. And he was like, Brooke, you need to forgive yourself. And I'm so proud of you for coming and wanting to start over again. I never had anyone tell me that. He was just so proud of me for reaching out. And for the first time, I felt like the smallest action on my behalf was enough. I really do feel like he just took me in like the same way the Savior would. And he was like, 
like, you know what? Like, I understand how hard it is. And what was interesting was he was actually in Greek life at the University of Utah. And his wife was in Greek life at the University of Utah. He was like, I understand. I know this time in, in your life is really, really difficult. And I am proud of you for trying to start over again. Like, that is not an easy thing to do. And so we set some goals, and I tried keeping those goals. And we met every week for about two months. And every week we would just check in, and he would just ask how I was doing. And I guess this entire time of thinking about, you know, my coming back with, you know, the name of your podcast, my coming back was never about, you know, leaving the church or, you know, I never took my name out, like nothing, nothing like that. But for me, it was coming back to the Savior and um, coming to terms with letting him walk with me like every day of my life. Because I had tried so hard to keep him out of it that I realized, you know, I'm much happier with him in it. Like, I would rather him walk with me and go through some uncomfortable things, but because he knows I can handle it. I tried meeting those goals that my bishop had set for me, and I got to a point where he was, I think we were maybe like three months into our meetings and he was like okay now what like now what's your next goal and i was like i would i would like to get back to the temple i i haven't gone to the temple in years in years he was like you know what that's a great goal and then i remember him saying how about february does february sound like a good time like do you think you can keep this momentum until february and i was like yeah like, yeah, I can do this. And this entire time, I was going to church. I lived in a house with, like, four girls, and we would go to church, but, you know, it's it was like a university ward, and a lot of people, like, hop around. And so not every Sunday did I have, you know, the company of one of my roommates, which was totally fine. If anything, it made me stronger waking up, showing up by myself, and staying, even though I was by myself. And looking back on it, I don't even really remember, like, being alone. Like, I didn't feel alone during this entire process of turning back to him. I, I wasn't feeling alone anymore, and I wasn't scared to go by myself. And I got my recommend back and I went to the temple by myself. And I never felt alone. I ended up being the happiest that I had ever been. And I was just so excited about having that light come back within me that I kind of just wanted to like, scream it from the rooftops, like, I feel changed, I feel whole, and I remember my 
mom saying, you know, you're the savior knows how hard you're working. He knows the effort that you're putting in to include him in your life. And as hard as it was, I, I don't know. I, I started going through this time where I was like, okay, no more one foot in, one foot out. You know, like I'm investing all this time. I'm going to the temple. I had lost a lot of friends in that process. I, I was a hundred percent committed to, you know, kind of leaving that lifestyle behind. And to do that, I unfortunately did have to end some friendships. And even with that, I didn't really feel alone. I kind of got to a point where I had felt so changed that I kind of felt, I don't know, that it sounds funny, but I kind of felt like a miracle. A lot of the LDS stereotypes of, you know, you you have to fit in this cookie cutter or, you know, things like that um, would definitely get to my head. And I had been so overwhelmed with my testimony of repentance and becoming whole. There's something that I love about the word atonement. And if you break it up, it's at one mint. And I I just love that. Like, I finally felt like one human being. I felt like me. I felt like Brooke. And I just wanted to tell everyone about it. And I would go on splits with the missionaries. And I was like, dude, this is, this is awesome. Like, I just, I was so overwhelmed with change and how happy that I had been. Because I had really felt the difference of a life without his hand and a life with it. And I just started to have these feelings of, I want to tell people about how it is never late to start over. It is never late. And um, I remember just being so overwhelmed with this feeling of like, it was kind of like word vomit. Like I just always wanted to, it was just so overwhelming. Then I went to my bishop and I remember being very reluctant to share with him my, my feelings of, I was like, what do I do with this? Like, do I go on a mission? Like, can I do that? Because I truly thought and I had heard, you know, if you do X, Y, and Z, you can never be a missionary and you have to be in this certain mold. And unfortunately, I totally bought into that. And I was like, so I went in there and I was like, am I allowed? Like, would I, am I, am I qualified? And he was like, Brooke. And he was just so loving and he was like, have you ever read Preach My Gospel? And I was like, yeah, actually, I have. And he said, okay, I want you to go home. I want you to read chapter six, which is um, attributes of Jesus Christ and uh, how to develop those attributes. And he was like, I want you to go home. 
I want you to read that chapter. And I want you to come back to me. And I want you to tell me what you think. And I was like, okay. Go home. I read it. A week goes by. I come back. He's like, so what'd you think? And I'm like, thought it was great. Like, I definitely think I have some work I need to do. And he was like, well... I already think you have a lot of attributes of Jesus Christ. And I think you would be a great missionary. I just remember reacting the same way I'm reacting now. I just remember being shocked. Like, I guess I never really was too far away from the Savior. Like, there is no sin too bad. There is no distance too far from the Savior that cannot... Um, disqualify you from preaching, you know, your story, telling your testimony. And he just said, I think you would be a great missionary. I was shook. I was, I was definitely feeding into the stereotypes that unfortunately just the LDS culture had kind of led some other peers of mine to really believe you had to be X, Y, and Z to be a missionary, or you had to look a certain way, which is why I was very quick to think that I would not be allowed to go. I truly thought that. And he was just so kind and so quick, and basically was just like, let's do the dang thing. Like, let's go. And I was like, really? Like, what? I, he was like, you have fully repented, and you are really hard on yourself, and you have put in the effort, and the Lord, he sees you. Like, he, you have had that change of heart. You have been converted to the Lord, and that is why you want to share this story. Like, you want to, you want to share your testimony. And I was like, yes, like, that is all I want to do. Right then and there, he opened my papers and I didn't tell a soul because I was scared of what other people would think. And I remember I told one person, well, I did tell some people, I told my mom and dad, but I did not tell extended family. And I remember I I told a really close family friend of mine, and I was like, hey, you know I've been going through a lot of change recently, and I uh, have decided I want to go on a mission. And I was so taken back by his reaction. It kind of reminded me of, like, my young women's experience. He was like, Brooke, you know, this isn't a study abroad, right? Oh my gosh. I was like, I will do this by myself. I am not letting anyone else tell me otherwise. And I remember being so upset. And I realized, you know, if you have good news, be careful with who you share that good news with. Because for whatever reason... He didn't think it was good news. He was like, Brooke, you'll be back in two weeks. 
And I was so hurt. And I just went back to, you know what? The Savior told me when I was 14 years old, I would go on a mission. You know what? I guess he was right. So I will do this. Him That's and I. what I was thinking. That whole that whole buildup, I was like thinking about Yeah. your blessing and... Yeah. So I was like, you know what? No. And I wouldn't tell people after that. And I remember, you know, even sometimes like, and I know they didn't mean anything uh, with ill intent whatsoever, but I think there's very much a, a stigma or stereotype with the LDS church and just like certain customs, especially with missions. I remember saying um, it was another family friend that I think we were waiting for my call. And so at this point, people did know. And I was still like, dude, enough with this stereotype stuff. She was like, I feel like you'll go to a visitor center. And I was like, why? Like, what are you saying? You know, she was like, oh, like, because that's where they take, you know, like the cute girls or whatever. And I was like, what is wrong? Like, what? And I was just, again, very taken by back by it. And I was just like, oh, my gosh. Like, okay, the Lord knows where I'm capable of. Like, he'll send me yeah. where he sends me type of a thing. Yeah. I remember waiting for my call. It took a really long time to get. And I posted it on my Instagram. And I had very much been MIA, like, this entire time. I was going into my junior year. Like I said, I lost a lot of friends. I I had to do a lot of, like, self-worth uh, work on my end. I wasn't really using social media too much. And so, no joke, the day I got my call, I posted, surprise, I'm going on a mission. <laughs> and I had people DMing me and screenshotting my Snapchat. I remember I had like, I don't know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but I had like 20 people screenshot my Snapchat saying that I was going on a mission and I was like, I know what they're doing. They're sending it to people. Mm -hmm. And I had one guy that was involved in Greek Row uh, respond to my story. And I will forever remember this. He was like, I didn't even know you were LDS. And that struck me to my core. And that was when I was really aware of just how far I let myself drift away from the Savior. And I left him out on purpose because it wasn't always that way. There, there used to be, you know, that light that I was talking about. And I was just so... I was also very taken back by that. So total like full circle moment. I go on my mission and I serve a full time mission. So 
There you yes. go. So the haters. <laughs> not at Temple Square, not at a visitor center, but I went to Chile. I went to Chile Concepcion, uh, Spanish speaking, and it was the best. And being a missionary, my most important convert was myself. Like, yeah, I had success on my mission, but my most important convert was myself, was my testimony. I came close to the end of my mission, and um, I think I had about, like, six months left, and I got an email from, like, some random, like, Gmail, and I was like, what the heck? And I remember I had this elder sitting next to me, and he was like, his, I don't know, as missionaries, it's like, oh, like, what are you doing? Like, make sure everyone's not doing anything crazy, right? We were in, like, the Family History Center, and um, so I get this email, and I'm like, what the heck? And he's, like, kind of, like, looking over my shoulder, and he was like, did my companion just email you? And I was like, what? He was like, yeah, Elder Meyer just emailed you. And I was like, shut up. That's who this is? Because as missionaries, like, I didn't know his first name. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, oh. I'm like, no way. And so... And so I'm like, oh my gosh, hey, like, I'm going to respond. And it was nothing crazy. Like, he went to our mission re- reunion and was like, oh, they they showed this slideshow of, you know, who will be here the next reunion. And you were on the slideshow. And he was like, and I was just like, oh, I wonder how she is. We have never talked. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, okay. And, and yeah, and that was like one email. And he emailed me every P-Day until I came home and I did date some other people but I was still going on dates with him and then I realized I only liked my dates with him and then that turned into like two and a half years of us dating and then we got engaged and then we got married and total full full circle very ironic. Now I'm a young women's leader. <laughs> I love that. So yeah. much. like that part of your email, just, I was like, yes, I love it. Yeah. Isn't it interesting to see how the Lord. Yeah. I truly think, I don't know, just like going through all that stuff and being where I am now. I'm like, you can't tell me. He does not have a sense of humor. I'm like, okay. Yes. Like, you know, like, okay, I get it. Like, <laughs> all right. Like, you were right, you know. You know, my time turning my back on the Lord, which I will totally say that I did, and that's what it was. What I tell my young women now, I'm like, be the reason why someone wants to know Christ because they know you. And wow. That is so cool. The reason why I tell them that is because I got to a point where someone didn't even know like how I felt about the savior. They didn't even think I 
was LDS. They didn't even think I, you know, incorporated him in my life, you know, by that guy responding saying, I didn't even know you were LDS. I was so hurt, but I also was like, like, that must have been the betrayal the Lord felt from me, you know, the same way I felt like I had kicked him out that far away that no one would have ever guessed. And I tell my young women that was way too far away that I should have been, that I was the last person that they would have guessed go on a mission and even be, you know, allowed according to some people. (laughs) So definitely like a full circle moment. And I, another huge thing that I reiterate a lot with my other leaders in the young women presidency is, you know, the church is perfect and the members are not and allow them to be imperfect. Yes. Yeah. And like, let them, let them make mistakes. And it's very, very hard to not let that affect your testimony because I very much just closed down like a hundred percent. But at the end of the day, there is a special spirit by being in the congregation, by, you know, going and renewing your covenants and starting over every Sunday from like being so far away for so long from the Savior, it is such a blessing to be able to start over, like, whenever. But also, every Sunday. And so, I tell my young women, I'm like, you, like, don't go, don't go to church for me. Like, sure, if you want to go for your girlfriends, like, by all means, but at the end of the day, stay true to what keeps you happy and stay true to what you know about the Lord is that he gets you and he knows you. You know, it is never, ever too late to start over. You are never too far away. You are never too low that he can't reach you there is nothing he can't fix. Definitely took some humbling for me to realize that he knows me better than I know myself. That is the number one thing that I've learned with all of this is um, he has always had like a divine destiny for me. He has always had this mapped out. I had to go to some, you know, terrible, dark places and hurt a lot of people to have a testimony of, you know, some of our most important commandments. And if it means saving others from heartbreak and, you know, putting strain on friends or just friendships and family relationships, it means, you know, sharing my testimony, I will 
do that because I obviously had to go through that to get my testimony. I used to be very, very ashamed of my actions and my previous mistakes. And as I've grown up, I'm just like, without that, like my life would not be the way that it is. And so I'm like, I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I remember going on a, on, I think it was like our second date with my husband. And I was like, look, I am not cookie cutter. Okay. Like, I'm going to tell you some stuff. That's not who I am anymore. But I have gone through a lot of crap. Okay. And if you want some, you know, cookie cut cutter girl who, you know, I don't know, just hasn't done X, Y, and Z. Like, unfortunately, that's not me. And I have learned a lot of stuff about the atonement. I have a crazy strong testimony because of it. And if you're okay with how I got that testimony, great. Some people would hate that. Yeah. And unfortunately, some people don't like the way that others have to learn stuff. And sadly, I made decisions that other people would be very upset with or, you know, they would never want to have a partner who made certain decisions or, you know, who drank or whatever. And I was like, yeah, sorry, that's not me. <laughs> so yep. if you're OK with that, awesome. And he was like. I know the person you're describing is not the person I'm talking to right now and was like, I, you know, I'm just taking you as you are. And I, I think you're awesome. I think your testimony is awesome. Yeah. And it just, I just kind of, again, laid it all out and was like, look, <laughs> I've gone through some stuff. Okay. Fast forward to now. Uh, we're both, active in our callings and we live downtown and my mission serving in Chile and definitely becoming like my own convert and a hundred percent converted to the Lord and I definitely live the life that the Lord would have wanted for me which I'm really happy. I'm so proud of that change that I made. And through it all, I'm just like, I know a lot of people say, oh, they don't think people can change. And I'm like, well, then you've never seen the changes the Savior can make because that's like saying his atonement doesn't apply to you. I have definitely been changed for the better i love that that is just such a beautiful testimony of the savior's atoning sacrifice and just throughout your whole story it's like i can relate so much like how you said <laughs> just the part where you were talking about how you were changed and it was a miracle it is so incredible to hear your story because it's just, it's an illustration of how 
it can be as if it never happened. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're talking about that girl. That's just not who you are. And like, I can relate to that so much. It's like when I tell yeah. my daughter, it's like, I would never do that. Like <laughs> a million years would that yeah. be me. So I just, I love that. And I mean, the contrast between the people in your story who were members of the church that affected your testimony in a negative way, but then you have this good bishop who helped you heal and work through yeah. that with you. And like, I loved what you said about how we have to leave room for them to just be human because yeah. people are just people inside and outside of the church. And yeah. They make mistakes and say dumb things. And, you know, I'm sure that leader, you know, who knows for sure, but maybe like looking <laughs> back, she's like, crap, like, why did I say that? You know, like, that yeah. was not cool. So you just, you never know. Like, I don't know. I think it's also important to remember that, you know, be careful of like the things that you do and say, because sometimes people remember those for the rest of their life, you know? Oh, yeah. So. Totally. And kind of like what you were saying, as drastic as, you know, my change was, what's funny is telling my story now, and I will have some people that are like, I just, I just like, don't see it. Like, I just can't imagine you. Like, and I'm like, well, believe it. Yeah. I, <laughs> but, I know. Uh, right there with yeah. you. <laughs> yeah. He just also just changes like the nature of your heart and the way you carry yourself because you know the same way that I had someone just think I wasn't even I didn't even have Christ involved in my life because he didn't even know I was LDS I feel like it's total 180 of people are like I just can't even see you living a life like that <laughs> so right. it's just I don't know just a 180 moment but I definitely can say I have a very strong testimony of repentance and change and starting over. And even if it means a few times, because I kind of did have to start over a few times, but the best feeling is just letting the Lord walk with you every day and you do that i just know you will never feel alone because i lost a lot of friends and i never really felt alone like the entire time i know he walked with me every step of the way but thank you so much for letting me just tell you everything and i'm glad you were able to relate and I feel like I very much related to your testimony and your just coming back to the church and you know letting him into your life and it's a really really hard thing to do and I think what makes it harder is in the process you you feel like no one else is also doing it in that moment of in time. So it's really special to that you've created like this space where people can remind others like you're you're not the only one and you're 
you are not, you know, exempt from his love and from his reach. And you can always come back, you know, like I did it, you did it. Um, doesn't matter if you have a whole village behind you, you can do it alone too. Doesn't make it any easier, but you have the Lord to walk with you every step of the way. So kudos to you for even making this podcast and having the courage to share other people's journeys because it's there's a lot of believers but there's a lot of adversary out there there totally is yeah well thank you so much brooke thank you yeah thank you for being vulnerable and sharing your story i know that sometimes it's hard to like talk about the truth of like your past with thousands Mm -hmm. of people that will hear this yeah you're you're brave and like your vulnerability will be such a gift to so many people so thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you you're awesome so thank you Hey guys, first off, I want to give you a heartfelt thank you to all of you that support the podcast. We wouldn't be able to get this message out without all of your help, so thank you so much. I've had a few questions come in from people that aren't on social media, so I just wanted to let you guys know that we do have a website. It's www.comebackpodcast.org. You can find all of our episodes here. Um, There's a list of our book club selections, and you can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks again. We love you guys so much.